Palm Sunday. It's the um, beginning of the um, most important week in the history of the world as we celebrate what took place 2,000 years ago. As a Catholic growing up in the church, it was, uh, we were 33 days and already preparing for Easter. And coming into Holy Week, it was, uh, uh, it was the week we were waiting for. And, and as, as Catholic kids, you know, marching down, you know, two by twos and so forth. And then, of course, Wednesday we got off, you know, vacation, but that didn't stop. Every, every morning was Mass and Communion and, and, and preparation and preparation. And, and then the stories they would tell about the agony of Christ, and, and uh, they, they really brought it in well. And I'm, I, I look back on it now, and I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for those years of, of uh, that beautiful story being drilled into us. I um, want to ask us a question this morning. As, as we look at the rest of the week, we look at the Thursday, the, the, uh, the, the arrest, the, the agony, the, the suffering, the whipping, the, the, uh, the crowning of thorns, uh, the, the trial, uh, and, and the yelling from the crowd, crucify him, and, 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 and eventually his being crucified on the cross, and then three days later, he raises from the dead. As, as Jesus was, was, was facing this week, knowing what was going to come, and now we being around, most of us that, that, are, that are very aware of, of this week and what it's all about, it's easy to go through the week and, 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 and just kind of celebrate it without, without pondering the real meaning of it. Uh, and, and, I, and I want us to be able to ask the question again, why? Why? Why would he do such a thing? What did he, I, I think of what the psalmist says, what is man, sinful man, that you are mindful of him? What did he have in mind? Uh, and and, and I, I, I would like that picture to be able to be brought up and I'll, it'll be there for the rest of the, of the message because it's a, it's a picture of the prodigal coming home um, uh, written or, or done, painted by Rembrandt and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible picture. I, I, I love the, um, um, the detail of it. Uh, Henry Nouwen wrote a book on it called The Return of the Prodigal and I highly recommend the book. So many, many years ago he wrote it. I say it was the best I've ever read on, on the prodigal coming home and he he actually opened up a door for himself to go into the Soviet Union years and years ago to be able to go to St. Petersburg, to go to the, the, the museum where that actual original painting was, and he was able to find himself there for about four hours just studying the painting. And there's so much detail that, that Rembrandt brought out in, in this painting. Of course, the son in his rags coming home into the arms of the father. Uh, it, it's, it's a picture that all of us, all of us need to be able to embrace. So it's so, so easy for growing up in the church and me being the youngest of six kids, of course, especially, and looking at some of my older siblings and, and saying, hey, they were the black sheep in the family. I'm the good guy, you know? And boy, they, do they need to come home? But little did I know in my own life, I needed to come home. Of, of, and, and, and it was quite a journey for myself. In the background, you can barely see 
It's a picture of the oldest son. And, and, and just, he'd done it all. He had stayed home. He had, Father, I've done everything for you. And, and now you kill the fatted calf for, for this son of yours. And the father reminds him in, in his little retort, he says, this brother of yours is home. This brother of yours. It's so easy to be able to miss the very, very reason why Jesus paid the price. And this picture sums it up. He came to bring us home. And our home is in the presence of the Father. I, um, several, I've been, I grew up in the Bay Area, a giant fan. And, uh, and, and in 1958 they came and they didn't get a World Series win until 2010. The stinking Dodgers got in the way a lot of times, you know. Yes. Yeah, I figured, I figured there were a few of you guys in here. But in 2010 I happened to be down in San Francisco uh, teaching in a, at, at Youth with a Mission at the base what, right after they had won the World Series and I was there for the, the the celebration is as a million people or more lined Market Street and, and, and the parade took place and, 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 and I was able to kind of find my way into the crowd and, and, and this immense crowd of a million people and I saw the, the, the fear of what it would be like to be in a crowd that would get out of hand and I'd go, oh man, I'd be dead. But the sound of that crowd as their heroes, our heroes at that point, were, were driving by in their little cabooses was like the sound of many waters. I've been to Niagara Falls and, I, and I've heard the sound of that rushing water. They say the first pioneers that came, they heard that roar a day and a half's walk away before they ever came to the falls. And when you're right next to it, the, the roar is so powerful. And then later on, after the parade, you know, they go and they met in, in, in a Civic Square and, and, and then the guys, the heroes, the baseball players got up there and they gave their speech of what they did. You know, and well, I hit a curveball and it's, I can't even tell you what it was anymore. I can't even tell you who they were playing. And I'm thinking, here we are with a million, and the thing hit me of these a million people with a sound of many waters cheering for these feats that I can't even remember anymore. Right. And then as I was, before I came up here this morning, I, I looked into Revelation chapter seven and it talks about the sound of many waters, yeah. of what it's gonna be like for you and I to be able to be around that day and we're gonna be able to cheer for a real person, for a real hero, yeah. for somebody who paid a price beyond anything our minds can comprehend to bring us back home into the arms of the Father. And it's gonna be a real reason to be able to yell like we've never yelled before. All glory and honor and praise and power and to be on our faces. And I don't know how we're going to be, but all I know is that he is so worthy. And that's what we're celebrating and remembering this week is the lamb that was crucified 
before the foundation of the world to be able to bring us back home into the arms of the Father. All of us have that same journey. It, 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 there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of prodigals that need to come home into the arms of the Father and they've never left town. They've just been good people. And that's where I was so, for so long. I had an amazing dad. Um, my dad was older than most. He was 46 years old when I was born. And so he was born in 1901. Uh, you know, so I'm, okay, I'm 75. Got it, you quick mathematicians. And, and I mean, you know, but he introduced me to the outdoors. His heroes were still alive, guys that, you know, he, he actually went to a Buffalo Bill Wild West show, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, 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 and he brought me into the outdoors. It's why we live in Montana, Linda, and I love hunting, I love fishing, I love the outdoors, and I don't do enough of it, that's for darn sure. But the, uh, an amazing dad he was. Some of my best times in my early years were with my father. Times at Candlestick Park, for sure. Bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded. And Bobby Bonds comes. Bam, and we beat the Dodgers. <laughs> See, and, and my dad and I just yelling and screaming and being a part of 54,000 fans, just yelling and everything. To be able to be out in a duck blind and to be able to do, have times with him hunting and fishing and him teaching me how to f cast a fly rod and, and, and cast a fly and, 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 and never, use, never use spinners. That's what those LA guys do, <laughs> you know. But the only way to properly catch a fish is with a fly, and this is how you do it, and oh my goodness, the time's with my dad. But to have that type of closeness with my dad, and to be able to look back years later and to be able to go, amazing times with this amazing father, and I never knew him. What do I mean by that? What do I mean? I didn't know him. I just talked about amazing times with an amazing person. And I didn't know him. 1975, he died of cancer. And I, we could see it coming. And, and uh, it was one of those things where we, uh, you know, I, I, I could see it coming. And, and, and even though we had, we had been, had these close times together, intimacy was, would not define our friendship. Uh, the word love was not used in our, in our house because that was kind of a mushy word. Uh, hugs didn't happen. Uh, because, uh, you know, you're going to be a man, and, and men don't do that kind of a thing. The closest I ever got to my dad was a handshake, and, and I didn't grow up going, oh, I wish I could be hugged, because the way you grow up, you, that's normal. That's just, you, you, a kid adjusts to that kind of a thing, and I adjusted well, except when the crisis came, and I wanted to be able to connect with this man who I loved so much, and to be able to say, Dad, thank you. Thank you for being a good dad. You've been a neat dad. That's, that that sounds not too intimate, but for me, that sounds to be easy to say, huh? And as I'm driving him from Petaluma down to San Francisco, 40-mile drive, I'm wanting to be able to say, okay, this is a time, just you and me here, and we're going to be able to do it. I'm driving him to our chemotherapy, and, and each day I'd fail. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out. I couldn't get the words out. Why? Because he wasn't that way. 
Train a child in the way that it go, and when they're old, they won't depart from them. And he had trained me that this, you, don't, you just don't do this kind of stuff. The, the intimacies of the heart were not there, and yet he knew I loved him. I knew he loved me. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Because communication is so key. And I remember the last day that I saw him, we thought he'd be living for uh, a while longer, and, and uh, he was in the hospital. I had driven him there, and I put him into the, you know, the nurse put him into the bed, and, and uh, we talked for a little bit, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I still wanted to connect. I wanted to say something, and, and I said goodbye, and I walked over to the door, and I, and I looked back, and the first time in our relationship, his eyes were communicating. His head was up and he was looking at me. No words. It was just this long, pregnant pause. It would have been an amazing time to be able to go, okay, let's, let's talk. But I couldn't. I didn't. And I gave him the old pretzel wave and down the hall I went and... Next morning, the phone rang and my dad was gone. A week later, we're at a funeral, his funeral, and I'm all smiles. It was at his funeral, we turned the business over to my brother. We had, Linda and I had taken over the family business and, and, uh, and, and uh, we were set free to be able to pursue the calling that God had in our lives and, and, and missions. And, 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 and I'm all smiles. My, the grace of God is on Jerry. Isn't that amazing? And I'm going, yeah, the grace of God is on me. And, I'm working. and we got in a couple of years of Bible school and then we found ourselves in YWAM living over in Austria, working in Eastern Europe, living in this little castle in the woods. And uh, 60 staff and, and, and YWAMers from all over the world. We had an incredible few years there. But we had a love feast one night. And, and in a love feast, we'd have this special dinner and, uh, you know, followed by a time of worship. And then, and then maybe somebody or a few people would just give different words. And it was just precious times. Uh, presence was there. This one evening, I'm supposed to share for about five minutes along with a few others. And uh, said, share something about God. Three years after my dad died. I said, piece of cake, five minutes. God, what do you want me to share about Father, so easy. Jesus came to bring us to the Father. I mean, how easy is that? But I like to be able to go a little more than that. I like a little bit more story, a little bit. Let me tell you my story, but I had no story. And I thought, well, God, you're going to give it to me. You know, so I stood up in faith and said, tonight I'd like to talk about Father. And it hit me. And that grief that I'd pushed down for three years just exploded. And I crunched and I wept and I'm weeping and weeping in front of these precious people. Nobody's saying anything. I'm just continuing weeping. I, I said, I, I, think, I think this has something to do with my father, you know. Pretty soon these arms, I felt these arms come around me and they were the arms of a retired Presbyterian minister who gave the last years of his life to youth with a mission for us in Europe. And his name was Don Kirkby from New Zealand, amazing guy, amazing guy. And he took me into his arms, my head was right there. And I'm weeping, weeping, weeping on his shoulder. 
And he said this, Jerry, from now on, the father wants to be your father. It was the beginning of a, of a journey for me. It was the beginning. I knew I had encountered something very, very precious. It was about 12 years later. And I've shared this here, I think, last time I was here. I'm just walking on a road after a very, very difficult time. Think about being in Youth With a Mission for 15 years. And it took 15 years for the coin to drop from here to here. To hear the words that every one of us need to be able to hear. But for me, it came like this, Jerry, I love you. I didn't have the ears to hear it. It, it's amazing how long it takes for us to be able to develop the ears to hear everything that God wants to say to us. But see, my ears had been developed in a different place. I thought I had the perfect father. And by the way, you could be an amazing parent, but you could be, because you're an amazing parent, your kids think, well, I grew up in the perfect family and therefore I don't need this. But I'm telling you right now, you need this. Every one of us needs this. We need to be able to hear the same words that Jesus heard as he was coming up out of the Jordan. And the Holy Spirit landed on him in the form of a dove. And he heard his own father say to him, you are my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. I love you and I'm proud of you. I'd never heard the word I'm proud of you in my entire life. Two weeks after he said I love you, all of a sudden I'm just walking along and he said, Jerry, what? By the way, I'm proud of you. Have you ever heard those words? Last 30 years, Linda and I found ourselves doing a workshop and I've talked about it here and, and, and it's taken us all over the world. And, and we've used it in Youth with a Mission to be able to open up lives, to be able to take it to the cross, but also to encounter the Father to be able to forgive. And so often in those workshops, I don't care what nation we would do it in, to, for people to be able to go back to the defining moment in their lives where the enemy found an inroad into that life, where he was able to plant his stuff in that life. And all of you and all, me, all of us have that defining moment where the enemy defined us. It could have been a divorce, it could have been molestation, it could have been a teacher, a, uh, you know, where, where people who were assigned to be able to do the, the, the to be able to, to exude God and to be able to mentor us, to, to help us to develop ears to hear God so that we can run with him and failed us. Why? Because a father who was harsh and ruined had a father who was harsh and destructive, who had a father, and it could go on for generations till somebody wakes up and comes back to into the arms and starts a generational line of people that know the love of the Father again. And it's what you and I are called to do. Paul says, therefore we are reconcilers. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. I can't tell you how hard it took for, oh, how hard it was for me to be able to learn to be a father, to hug. I hug Linda, no problem. To hug our son Steve, I learned how to do that. <laughs> and it wasn't hard. 
But all of a sudden, I'm finding myself with people opening up their lives next to me, and I'm going, I, 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 don't, I'm supposed, I remember, right when I was learning how to do this, we were in a workshop, this woman was mentoring Linda and I, and, and uh, there was about a 28-year-old, very attractive woman in the chair, and she starts opening her life, and she was talking about how she, her life was just destroyed by men starting with her father, how he had molested her and her brother, and then different men in the neighborhood and boys, and then over through high school, hit on, hit on, hit on, hit on, and, and her life had just been one destructive relationship after another, all at the hands of men. And, and, and Miriam, who was helping us, and, and I'm learning how to do this, you know, and, I, and, and, and I'm going, yeah, you know what, I'll hug Linda, but... You know, I, and, and it would be like, okay, Miriam would be there, and if it's a mother issue, then Ma- Miriam would take it, because I can't be a good mom. See, but if it's a father issue, and this is definitely a father issue, Jerry, you know, and so as this woman is down after telling her story, just weeping and weeping and weeping, Miriam looks at me and she goes, and I go, <laughs> and she shook it off, and she goes, and I said, <laughs> and Miriam took her into her arms. And the woman started weeping. And Miriam gave her the best prayer she could. But it wasn't good enough. Because her pain did not come from a woman. And with her in her arms, Miriam looks at me and she says, Jerry, she needs the love of a father. I said, okay, and as soon as I got up, I was free. I knelt down in front of her, and I said, it's all right if I be a dad for a little while. And she said, yes, and she fell into my arms. And she's there weeping on my shoulder. I felt the heart of the Father coming through me and just telling how much he loved her and how, how, how proud he was of her and, and, and her being able to forgive men. And I, being a man, saying, would you forgive me as a dad? Would you forgive us men? And I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord came on and just set her free. It wasn't long after we took a break. And she came up to me and she said this, thank you for hugging me. That's the first non-sexual hug I've had from any man in my entire life. I, uh, I asked for this, this, this portrait to be put up here because there, you can see the, uh, the title, Home. Simple. Because that is our home. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us is a prodigal. Every one of us needs to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us back into the arms of the Father. Every one of us needs to be able to hear those words, I love you. I I, I could keep you here until six o'clock tonight. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. 
and I still wouldn't run out of stories to tell you. Powerful stories of people that we, just, just Linda and I, that Linda and I have had the privilege to be able to be a mom and a dad as we hear their story and be able to take that pain to the cross and to be able to see the great exchange of the pain and heartache for the love of the Father and to be able to be the arms of the Father or the arms of a mother to be able to allow them to weep. I think of a, 10 years ago, we were in Kona, Hawaii in a, a discipleship training school over there and in that school was a young uh, Mongolian woman and she had grown up, you know, uh, just in a, in a yurt, you know, and they were, they were tra- you know how they were back then, just uh, travel from place to place, pick up the yurt and move and so forth. I mean, just total. Uh, she said she talked about her father you know, that, you know, her father did not want a woman, a girl. When she was born, he would not even recognize her birth at all. And, and just, uh, in fact, didn't even name her. And finally, the name she ended up with in Mongolian means no name. She talked about her, her little brother who wandered away in a 50 below zero blizzard one time and died and froze to death. And all of a sudden, after the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of Koreans and other missionaries came in and so forth, and they, they grabbed her and brought her over to Seoul, Korea, where they, she was able to be educated. She, at that point, she already had a master's degree, incredible woman. And here we had this time of coming home to the arms of the father. And she, as she told her story, all I could do was say, is it all right if I just, and you know what I'm talking about, and she said, please, and I prayed for her, and then I said, is it all right if I hug you? And I knelt down in front of her, and she just again fell into my arms and wept and wept and wept. And it's such a precious gift to be able to be a partaker in such a moment, to be that connection between the pain of earth and the love of a father. What's your story? Have you allowed Jesus to redeem your story? So many of us will come forward and we'll, salvation's wonderful, that we recognize we're a sinner, and, but, our, but our testimony stops there. And there's so much more. There's so much more. I'll close with a story. I, I, I told it last summer to the first service and the second service. I told a different story. I'm pretty known for that. As a matter of fact, this is a different message than first in a little way. I, um, about 25 years ago, I, I tell this because it, it amplifies everything I'm trying to say this morning in such a beautiful way because it covers all of the bases. I, about 25 years ago, I'd come home from a series of doing workshops and and uh, very tired. This kind of stuff tires you out. And, uh, and it was fall and time to get the firewood in. And I love that kind of thing. I love going up into the forest. I love, I, I love just finding a dead, you know, larch or, or, or red fir and you're just dropping that sucker and, you know, and, and you just feel good about it, you know. And, 
I, I, I found this, you know, a road opposite the West Shore State Park that takes you up, and, and, and here I was on the hillside overlooking the, the Flathead Valley, the lake, and I was in heaven, you know, just enjoying it, dropped a couple of trees, and I, I just felt great because I was by myself. <laughs> See, and uh, up comes this little truck. And um, guy, bearded guy, you know, he stops, how you doing? I have my chainsaw on my head. Good. What are you up to? Oh, he had a, a, a rifle between the seat and a pistol next to him, you know. Telling this in New York City, I've done that. It, it, it has a different connotation. Right? <laughs> right? And, and, and uh, I say, he says, well, I'm crippled. You can see my, my license plate. I, I'm disabled. He says, my back is deteriorating. I get to get here about a week ahead of you guys, and I might be able to find an elk. I said, that's cool. Good. He goes, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to talk to ministers, right? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally hanging onto my chainsaw. And he says, uh, oh, what kind, Christian? I said, yeah. He says, oh, I used to be that. He said, my, uh, my wife and I, we were a part of a church over in another city, big city. Uh, she was on staff. She was one of the teachers. It was an incredible church, Bible school and everything attached to it. and Just, just an amazing. She was a great teacher. But to make a long story short, he says, my wife ended up running off with that pastor. He said, uh, I'm a loser. He says, I hung around for a little while and tried to tell my story. Nobody listened to me. He says, so I, I'm a loser. What do you expect from a loser? He says, I've been an alcoholic for the last 19, 20 years. Just came from a, a bar in Lakeside. That's all, I, I'm just a loser, an alcoholic. Well, I put the chainsaw down, you know, and, and I said, uh, wow, that's a heavy story, huh? He goes, yeah, what are you gonna do? I said, uh, I'd like to help you out a little bit here. I said, you know, have you ever uh, forgiven your wife? He says, yeah, last year at our daughter's wedding. Had an amazing time with her. She's an amazing woman. I still love her. I forgave her. I said, what about that guy? And he looks at the guns. <laughs> and he said, buddy, if you were that guy, you'd be dead right now. I said, well, you know, that can be a reason why your back is deteriorating. You know, the stuff that's on the inside starts working itself out. And, he, and the answer he gave me was, you know the feeling of, you know you've been hurt and you want to be able to milk it for everything you have because it's your story. And it was worth it for him. And I said, you know, it's uh, something like, you know, we got to take care of this. And I talked about forgiveness for a little bit and I said, uh, I developed a little bit of relationship. It all took place in about 20 minutes. Uh, and, I, and, and I said, I'd like to do something. He said, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to, I'd like to stand in for this guy. I want to get that weight off your back. He says, well, go ahead, you know. And so I got down like this. He's still behind the steering wheel, you know, and I looked into his eyes, and I just said, you know, I'm going to represent that man. And I wanted to say this. Would you forgive me for stealing the love of your life away from you? And other things. I'm connecting to his heart. And he's just like this. And pretty soon the tears started falling. Finally, he got it out. 
I forgive. And he goes, that feels so good. Thank you, he says. I said, you're welcome, but I said, I want to go a little bit deeper here. He goes, what is deeper than that? I said, your father is deeper than that, isn't it? I said, it was your father who called you a loser, right? He said, which father? I had 13 different fathers growing up. His mother just would keep bringing home these men, and one of these men was, was the loser. And, uh, you know, a man who had a horrible father, who had a horrible father, who had a horrible father, until somebody says, enough is enough. And I said, you know where we're going with this, right? He goes, okay. And I said, I want to bring this, get you to forgive this man. And so I got down, and I, I, I just said some simple things. I said, would you forgive me? You know, for not being a dad. I could have been a good father to you, but I wasn't. Instead, I brought this pain into you. I, I can't remember the very words, but I was connecting to his heart. And each word, you can see again, he was just, I mean, just white-knuckled on that steering wheel and where he was crying before now is we have this little term it's called bubbly snot <laughs> you know and that's where he was and I, I mean in the middle of it he goes I didn't think I was coming up here today to do this you know <laughs> finally he goes I forgive him oh that feels so good I said you know there's something else I'd like us to do What's that? I said, you need to get back with the Lord. He, he, this is, you know this is a setup, right? You know, and he, yeah. You know, and so I just say, oh, to be, come back to the Lord. It was easy, easy, easy. Jesus, I, I just give my life all over again to you. It was beautiful. And when I was done with that, I said, one more thing. Anything you want, he said. I'd like to be able to just pray for the Holy Spirit to come on you. Is that all right? He goes, sure. And I laid one hand on his head, another one on his <laughs> And I mean, <laughs> the joy of the Lord hit that guy. A few minutes later, he took off. Thought came into my mind, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He came back about a half hour later, hardly slowed down. Jerry, it's a new day. <laughs> There's a hunger that's put in each one of our hearts. The book of Ecclesiastes says he has placed eternity in their hearts. And the best way to describe eternity is this picture right there. Into the arms of the Father. There's a hunger that will never be satiated by anything else I don't care if you, you search for the next 50 years. You're still going to find yourself maybe on that bed, as my older brother did two weeks ago. He died two weeks ago. A guy who had 50 years of trying to make the church pay for all of the legalism and horrible things that was inflicted into his life as he was studying to become a priest. But in the last year or so, I was able to have talks with my brother on the phone and to be able to bring this message to him one time. 
I didn't think I did until Linda reminded me, oh, yes, you did. And then I remember the times of just saying, Mike, let me tell you my story. And to be able to hear my brother weep on the end of the end, where he really literally laid down his, his weapons against the church. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not stumbled on account of me, and we represent Jesus. And all of us have done it. I've done it. I've stumbled people. But it's so much easier, so much better to be part of the reconciliation process. We are made to breathe the air of intimacy that only the Father in heaven can give us.